Hi, I'm Ezra Fieldsmeyer. And I'm Casey Cantrell. And welcome to Animation and Beyond. As many of you know, we are dealing with a health crisis, and so Ezra and I are doing something different this time around for this episode. We are recording this virtually on Skype, so things might sound a little bit different, but we hope that it's not too bad. But, you know, like many of you, we are taking extra precautions right now just to just to make sure that we're safe and healthy, and yeah. we still want to you know, get this podcast out to you to, to provide people something to do while, while they're stuck at home. We know that this is tough for a lot of people. It's been tough for me and I'm sure it's been tough for you, Ezra, just having all these, all these disruptions to our daily routine, but you know, together we're going to push through and, and stay strong. And, and for our part, we're going to keep recording episodes as long as we can and, Get them out to you. Yeah. Next week, we are planning to put together an episode on things that you can do while at home. So stick around next week for that. But for now, we're going to go with our regularly scheduled episode focusing on children's books that have been adapted into movies. But before we get started on that, we have a trivia question to answer. So last week, we asked... Ezra co-wrote a children's book called Emergency. What was that book based off? It was based on one of my first animated videos I did when I was 12 called Alphabet House. I created it originally at somewhere called Media Enrichment Academy. I did it when I was 12. It was a simple little animation of all the letters living together in a house. And one of them gets injured. And that was the inspiration for my book Emergency. Because a year after my video was released, a children's book author and illustrator, Tom Lichtenheld, thought it would make a great children's book. So it took a couple years to make, and it was published, and it became a really big, successful book. Coincidentally, it came out the same time as my dad's memoir, Following Ezra. And do you know how he happened to find that video of yours? It was on YouTube. Oh, nice. Usually in uh, adaptations of things it's usually the other way around where a book will be adapted into a video or a movie but in this case it was actually the opposite i know and that's very fitting for for this week because as i said we are talking about adaptations and actually that is our word of the day it's time for word of the day new words you could say new words for your rhymes and for your wordplay by the time you leave this video you'll be smarter than you was before it's not a word of the day. So Ezra, what does adaptations mean? When something that has been made before gets made into, into something else by someone else. Yeah, that's basically it. So usually we think of it as kind of like I was saying before, like books being made into movies. But that's not necessarily always the case. Sometimes it could be movies that are made into books, or it can be somebody draws inspiration from other forms of art, whether it's paintings or music or that sort of thing. So like just to name an example off the top of my head, Across the Universe is in some senses an adaptation of the music by the Beatles. Can you think of any other adaptations that, any other examples of adaptations? Like there have been many adaptations of stories and children's songs and nursery rhymes and poems and fairy tales over centuries. For instance, Disney's cartoons of classic stories. Uh, Peter Pan, Pinocchio, Alice in Wonderland, Winnie the Pooh, Jungle Book. 
Yeah, so so Disney especially has made a lot of adaptations. Sometimes the Disney movie versions are so popular that people actually don't even realize they're adapted on. They're based off of something. So like I think Little Mermaid is one example. I had no idea. Originally was um, adapted from a story. I did though. I remember like other storybook adaptations of Little Mermaid that aren't Disney versions of that. And you'll have a lot of cases where there are books that have multiple adaptations. So you're talking, we were talking last week, I think, about Frozen, how it was adapted off of Hans Christian Andersen story. Yeah. And there was actually a separate film adaptation of that story. I think it came out the same year as Frozen. Well, US it did, but internationally 2012. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's a very... Fluid concept, I, I would say. And and one thing that we're especially going to be talking about in this episode is the idea of a faithful adaptation. So could, could you explain a little bit about what we mean by faithful adapta- adaptation? An adaptation that stays true and close to the original. Right. And there's a number of ways that can be done. It could be it's the same plot and the same characters and this, all the same details from the book are also in the movie. But there's also this idea of being true to the spirit of the source material. So a movie could be wildly different in terms of the kind of details that it mentions or uses or changes even. But if it's being true to the sort of thematic spirit of the book or the source material or the aesthetic of the source material, then some people might say, it's staying faithful faithful to the spirit of that source material. Yeah. But before we get bogged down further, because we're going to be talking about this much more, let's get to our feature presentation. So we're here to talk about some children's picture books that were adapted into films. And let's start with, what are we going to start with? Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Yes, that's a great movie. I remember when I first saw it. it was a, it's a fun, silly movie. But tell us actually a little bit about the original story, because I had no idea that uh, until you told me about it, how different it was. It was about a grandfather who tells a bedtime story, a tall tale to his grandchildren about an imaginary town called Chew and Swallow, where... People where it has everything except for a grocery store and shopping malls because they don't need they don't think they need any because food comes from the sky and they're all happy with it until many, 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 many years later, things aren't going so well. Like they're they aren't getting a lot of foods that they like and soon it becomes a disaster, like giant pancakes going over falling over schools and bread rolls in the ocean. And then they have to evacuate and find a new place. And then they learn to get food from actual stores. And that's a, that's an interesting thing because, as you're saying, in the book, the framing device of it is that it's a grandfather telling this ridiculous story to his, to his grandkids as a, as a bedtime story. But in the movie, it's treated a lot differently. It's about a scientist named Flint Lockwood who's an outcast who's over the years has created failed inventions and experiments. But then one day he 
creates a machine that can turn water into food, into any kind of food possible. And when he tries to unveil it and show it to everybody, it accidentally goes up into the sky and then into the clouds. And then unexpectedly cheeseburgers fall from the sky (laughs) and everyone likes it and likes it better that way, better than sardines, which everybody just ate in that town. So you wanted to make everyone happy by creating something people like better than sardines. (laughs) Yeah. And and what's interesting to note is that character of Flint, he isn't actually in the original book. No, but neither are the other main characters from this movie. Yeah, so a lot of different characters have been added to the movie. But I think the question here, Ezra, is would you say the movie is a faithful adaptation of the book? Yes, because it depicts food falling from the sky, which was the main theme of the book. And no, not a faithful adaptation because the main characters in the movie weren't in the book. Like there was Flint, the scientist, and then the weather reporter, Sam Sparks. And there was also a police officer, a comedian named Brent, and a greedy mayor. Yeah, I think this is this is an interesting case because it's kind of a mix where the filmmakers decided to go in a very different direction with the story and and they sort of took the look and feel of the story and developed a, a bigger plot out of that with these new characters. And so in some senses, it is faithful because they, they pull certain images straight from the books, like you were talking about the pancakes falling on the schools. That's in the movies as well. And so certain images, certain iconic moments are pulled from the books and they really represent the books well but in terms of the movie and the book they really could not be more different uh like there were the the vehicles that pick up the leftovers of uneaten foods and that was that was in the book which was in the movie and i think actually you're sharing this point with me ezra about the sequel that was interesting to note so there's a sequel to the film and there's also a second book in that series but you were telling me something interesting about those two the sequel cloudy with a chance of meatballs 2 is not based on the sequel to the original book pickles through pittsburgh yeah so i which i think is interesting because i think that really shows that the cloudy with a chance of meatball meatballs the movie is a different story than the book they basically diverge from the very beginning and so you have the movie has its own franchise with a sequel and a TV show and the books, they continue a different story that focuses on different things. I don't know. It's an interesting development to be, to see how an adaptation can veer and diverge so wildly from, from its source material. Yeah. Well, I liked it and it's follow-up media and I thought it was really, really funny and clever and among the funniest of animated films. You know, honestly, I think they they made the right decision to change it as much as they did because, you know, we got a very interesting story out of the movie. And I think that's um, that's worthwhile. And I know that the book was fantasy, but the movie was science fiction. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're even different genres. It's fascinating to me. But, you know, not to spend our whole time on kind of a chance of meatballs because we certainly could. Let's talk about the next film, Curious George. Now, in the case of Curious George, that was a movie that a lot of critics praised for being really faithful to the source material of the original books. 
Now, the movie's not based on one particular book, um, but it pulls elements from a lot of the different books. Um, so could you just tell, for, for people who might not be familiar with either the books or the movie, could you just tell us a little bit about what is Curious George? That animated film was about a little monkey who lives in the jungle, and then one day an explorer named Ted, who's the man in the yellow hat, who didn't have a name in the original books, going on a journey to look for a long thousands-year-old ancient idol, which wasn't in any of the original books, and bring it to a museum. And the kind head of the museum was a man named Mr. Bloomsbury, voiced by legendary actor we all know as Dick Van Dyke, who we all know from movies like Mary Poppins. So the the titular character, Curious George, he's the he's the monkey. And I think what's interesting is that in the books, the books are very simple stories and, and they're not really too plot heavy. It's just kind of following George on his adventures as he sort of learns about things and like sort of seeks out things and goes on adventures. With the movie, it's a lot more plot heavy. I know, interesting, yeah. So you mentioned that the character of Ted in the movie, he is based off the man in the yellow hat, who in the books, he's never named. And actually, that sparked an interesting question that you asked me that I want to now pose to you. Do you think the original creators of Curious George would be happy with the movie that was made based off their work? Probably yes, because they were proud of how successful they become. Maybe not so much because of lots of changes they did. Mm-hmm. And that's always an interesting question because I think it's easy to forget that these adapted works, somebody created them originally. And in some sense, they belong to those original creators. It can be very tricky grounds to maneuver when you're taking somebody else's work and making decisions about what elements from that story will appear in the movie, what elements are you going to leave out, what elements are you going to change? Are you going to change the story completely? Are, what, what are you keeping? And there are a lot of cases of creators who have been angry or offended because they felt the adaptations of their works weren't faithful, that weren't being true to the spirit of their works. One example I can think off the top of my head, not necessarily <laughs> appropriate for what we were talking about, but The Shining by Stephen King, when yeah. it was adapted into a movie by Stanley Kubrick, uh, Stephen King was really mad at the changes that Kubrick made, so much so that Stephen King filmed his own adaptation of the book afterwards as a way of making up for it, I suppose. But it sounds like, at least according to critics, that Curious George the movie was very true to the spirits the simplicity and the curiosity and the general sense of adventure of those original stories. Yeah. And I also know who voiced the characters. Will Ferrell voiced Ted, the man in the yellow hat. Drew Barrymore voiced one of the characters who wasn't in the book. Maggie, Ted's love interest, the teacher. David Cross voiced Junior, who was jealous of Ted and was Mr. Bloomsbury's son. And Eugene Levy voiced Clovis, an inventor. And Joan Plowright voiced Mrs. Plushbottom, an old lady who was an opera singer. Dick Van Dyke voiced Mr. Bloomsbury. Edo Ross voiced Ivan, the doorman who, who was hardworking. And those were the characters 
I remember, who didn't appear in any of the original books, or some were based on the characters from the original books, and some were just created solely for this movie. And what did you think about the movie itself? I mean, did you did you like it? Did you think it was, in your opinion, a good adaptation of the books? Yes, I thought it was great. I loved it. I thought it was fun, and I thought it was great, and it was considered to be both critically and financially successful, and it started a new franchise from Universal. It got a TV show later that year for PBS Kids. It also got some direct-to-video sequels. Like for Curious George 2, Follow That Monkey, Curious George 3, Back to the Jungle, and Curious George 4, Royal Monkey. Yeah, so it's done very successfully, clearly. And, and I think that's just a testament to how loved the original stories are. Yeah, I know. And the film I know had been in long development hell as early as 1992, originally planned to be a computer animated film or a live action film, but later was a traditional animated film combined with computer animation. And I actually, I liked the animation. I, it really harkened back well to the original books. Because if you've read the original books, the artwork is very simple. It's very minimalist. You read it and it's just like, it's relaxing, calming. And, and actually, I think a lot of us could, could do with, with those kind of stories right now. Yeah, it's, you know, I remember watching the movie with my younger brother and he loved it. And it was just very simple, very easy story and just a lot of fun. I agree. And I like the soundtrack for the film called Sing Alongs and Lullabies for the film. And it had the song, the hit song Upside Down by Jack Johnson. Very cool. Okay, so that was Curious George. So now to our last two films. Let's start with Horton Hears a Who, because I, I there's some interesting points about the Lorax that I want to finish off with. But That film, Horton Hears a Who, which was a computer animated film released in 2008, was based on the classic book by Dr. Seuss and was the fourth film from the Ice Age and Rio creator Blue Sky Studios. It starred Jim Carrey, who also starred in the original film of The Grinch. It also starred Steve Carell, Amy Poehler, Carol Burnett, Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen. Will Arnett and a bunch of others. So tell us about the book and then tell us about what changes or what additions did the movie make? In the the book, which was the second book featuring Horton the Elephant after Horton hatches the egg. This one called Horton Hears a Who was about an elephant named Horton who's trying to save tiny little people on a speck of dust on a clover, but everybody in the place where he lives called the Jungle of Newell thinks it's all just a lie and just a joke. But Horton just wants to prove to everybody that people can exist no matter what size they are. The movie, though, which I remember, was very, very different from the original book. Like, it had a lot of scenes in Whoville, like a bunch of characters like in the Jungle of Newell and in Whoville who didn't appear in the original books. Like some of Horton's animal friends, like Morton the Mouse, other ones like Jessica and Tommy, who didn't appear in the book. And the mayor had a wife, and he had 96 daughters. And Jojo, from the original book, was revealed to be his son. And there was one change that you mentioned to me that I, I thought was really interesting. There is a secondary villain named Vlad. Can you tell us about him? It, yeah, he's a bird who was kind of scary looking, I remember. And in the original book, he was an eagle, but in the film he was changed to a vulture, as vultures are more villainous in nature than eagles. Right. And that's something I find very interesting. And, and it gets to the idea of what does it mean to be a faithful adaptation? Because in a sense, that's not faithful. It's it's changing 
a major detail about a character for the film. But at the same time, I think it seems like the filmmakers really want to emphasize the villainous nature of this character. And eagles are generally considered brave and and heroic. Yeah, but vultures are meant to be scarier and meaner. It seems like the filmmakers really want to make it much more clear that this character, who there's no doubt in the book that he is a villain. They just want to make sure that was clear in the movie as well. So they decided to make that change. And make him look scarier too. Other things in the book, like a mayor thinks there are tremors and thinks there are bad, scary things going on in Whoville, but the Whoville Council chairman, who didn't appear in the original book, thinks the mayor was a, just being a fool and that nothing bad has ever happened in Whoville and never will happen in Whoville. I also remember his secretary, Miss Yelp. She did also did not appear in the original book. Yeah, so a lot of changes were made, but I do think that overall, Horton Hears the Who, the movie really aligns closely with the spirits and and the feel of the book. But now, to switch over to the Lorax, that is a case where a lot of critics thought the movie version wasn't as faithful as it could have been to the book. But before we get into that, how about you tell us a little bit about what the the book is? The Lorax was a classic book by Dr. Seuss, originally published in 1971, and it was an environmental kind of book which depicted deforestation, and it was about colorful trees made up by Dr. Seuss called Truffula Trees. And the once learned turns them into something that can become anything called a thneed. And the Lorax, who says, I am the Lorax, I speak for the trees, he tries to warn the once but he fails. And then that little boy he, who comes to see the once in the book gets a seed, and the once tells him to plant a tree and it might bring back the forest that was destroyed a long time ago. And we've talked about the Lorax a, a few times now on this podcast. And, and it's one thing is very clear. It has a strong environmental message. It is, it serves as a cautionary tale. And it's very, very clear that the blame isn't just on the Wunzler. It's, it really is spread out across everybody it's a call to action for everybody to respond, to be more thoughtful about how we use things, be more thoughtful about how we use our natural resources. Now, for the movie, can you tell us a little bit about that? The main character is a little boy named Ted who lives in a fake artificial city called Thneedville where everything's plastic and there's no actual trees or plants, but nobody seems to care and everybody likes it that way. And Ted, along with his love interest, Audrey, who are named after um, Ted Geisel and Audrey, Dr. Seuss and his widow, Audrey Geisel, which I forgot to mention earlier, Maggie from Curious George was named after Margaret Ray. Oh, cool. Those are cool Easter eggs. Yes, and but this thing I'm saying, Ted has a funny grandmother who is also interested in trees, and she tells Ted to go find the Wunzler right outside of town, and he tells the story of what had happened to all the trees, which in the book it took, like, one day, at least, to, for the once learned to tell the whole story, but Ted comes back the next day and the next day to hear the rest of it. And at the same time in the film, there's a greedy and evil businessman who runs the mayor of Thneedville named O'Hare, who wants to sell air and make money, and he also is revealed to hate trees. Like when Ted gets the, tree, the seed from the once learned, he goes back to Thneedville to plant it. O'Hare comes up with an evil plan on destroying the seed, and there's a chase through the city, which wasn't in the book. 
And I think this that's where a lot of critics felt that the film was sort of losing track of the original message of the book because by creating this central villain, it trivialized the the message of the original book and that is saying, no, this is something that needs collective action. It's up to all of us. It's not as simple as, oh, you beat the bad guy and everything's good now. It's a much bigger process than that. I know. I guess that leads to my question then, Ezra, like, is this a faithful adaptation? I say yes, because it uses the same elements of the book, but no, because it makes it very, very different. Like one of the differences besides the overall the plot of the film, when the Onceler first meets the Lorax in the original book, the Lorax is in his shack and he sees the Lorax popping out of the stump. But in the movie, the Onceler already chopped down the tree and then he moves somewhere else and the Onceler isn't, doesn't see that. And the Lorax comes out of the stump. And then later the Lorax goes up to the Onceler and asks if he cut out, if he chopped down the tree. Yeah, okay. But that, I think, also leads to the question... If it's if it's not a faithful adaptation, does that make it a bad movie? No, it's just different. And I think that's worth pointing out because the movie's still fun. It's colorful. It's entertaining. Even if if it sort of loses track of that original message, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad movie. It's just different. Yeah, I know. Well, it's interesting when they make these films, like, for instance, in the past, they've done ones for Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, where the wild things are, and Ferdinand and things like that. It was interesting when they made those other adaptations, they had to make them very different from the books, turn simple little stories into films. Yeah, so that's it's a common thing, and, and there's really no perfect way. There's no right or wrong way, I would say, of adapting a book into a film you know certainly everyone can have their own opinion about what makes it adaptation good or bad but it's it's a tricky process and it's not as easy as a one-to-one oh you just take page one of the book and turn that into page one of the script yeah i know i know all right so i think that is it for our feature presentation Thank you again so much for listening. We know that this is a very hectic time for a lot of people, and we hope that we can provide a little bit of sense of normalcy for you during this time. We are with you right now. You know, like we said before, we had to adjust our own routines just to be safe and stay healthy. All we can say is thank you so much for listening. If you like what we do, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash animation and beyond. If you do, you'll get access to exclusive content, but we will continue producing episodes for as long as we can in this format. We will try our best to just keep putting episodes out there. For now, before we let you go, we have a trivia question to give to you. The long-running animated children's show, Thomas and Friends, which was originally called Thomas the Tank Engine, what classic series of stories is it based on? All right, there you go. So if you know the answer, give us a shout-out 
either on our Facebook page or send us an email at animationandbeyond at gmail.com. If you get the answer correct, we'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Animation and Beyond is written and produced by Ezra Fieldsmeyer and Casey Cantrell with music by Noam Fieldsmeyer. We'd like to give a big thanks to the family and friends who have supported this podcast. Got a comment, question, or recommendation for future episodes? Let us know by leaving us a comment on our Facebook page or send us an email at animationandbeyond at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Animation and Beyond. Bye! See you later.